How's everybody doing? All that jumping around and dancing? You're in good shape now. If you weren't before, you are now. It was uh, about 2 a.m., three days after Christmas, 2010. I don't typically wake up at 2 a.m., but I got woken up because the lights were on in our bedroom, and Angela was awake. And I don't like being woken up, especially between like 10.30 and 10.30. Um, (laughs) Oh, really, 10.30 and about 4. Like anywhere in there, it's like I'm just a different person. I'm not always kind. I'm not, I just turn into something else. And so I woke up and I kind of looked around the room and it's like, why, why is Angela awake and why is she making noises? Now, it was about a week before her due date. And uh, she was in some pain. She said, yeah, I, I, I'm starting contractions, but you can go back to bed. <laughs> That's not something you hit snooze for, just uh, by the way. And I said, what? Wait, what? What? And I got up and I, I, uh, you know, I, st- I got out my phone because uh, I was a first-time parent. I was like, con- you know, I'm putting the, the uh, another one, another one. I'm doing like this app that's telling me how close the contractions are. And I'm like, okay, I think we've got a call. We've got to do this. And I'm like, she's like, no, really, why don't you just leave me alone? I, I'll be okay. But eventually we went to the hospital. Uh, Dylan was born and everything was great. There's one of those moments, though, like a lot of moments, like I said, where you don't hit snooze to that kind of wake-up. I mean, there's some kind of wake-ups that it's easy to hit snooze for, and other kind of wake-ups it's easy to wake up for. I mean, there's, there's certain kinds of waking up that's easy to do. When something's urgent, it's easy to wake up, right? If you got a, a job interview or uh, somebody's counting on you for something, you, you wake up, easy to do. Now, if you're excited about something, you think about well, like when your kids know you're going on a vacation, right? They're, they're waking up, or it's Christmas morning. They're excited, easy to wake up. Easy for kids to wake up, not always easy for parents to do it, but easy to wake up when you're excited. Or, or how about when you have a, a, a rhythm or a routine? You know, if you're just kind of always waking up at a certain time, it's just easy to wake up at that time again. Now, for a long time, I didn't have to set an alarm clock. I, I just woke up, same time every day, 6 o'clock, boom, boom, boom. It was great. P.M., 6 p.m. <laughs> and then uh, I had kids, and I woke up before 6 o'clock every day because they come wake me up. I didn't alarm then either, so I still don't need an alarm. It's, it's part of our routine. It's easy to wake up. Then it's easy to hit the snooze at other times too, though, right? It's easy to hit the snooze uh, when we're comfortable. You ever just been, maybe today, you've been in a comfy, warm bed, and you hear the cold wind outside, and you know it's cold, and you just stay tucked in? You're comfy. It's easy to hit snooze when you're comfy. Easy to hit snooze when you're exhausted, right? It's just, you've just pushed and pushed and pushed, and it's like, I know, I'm just done, I'm tired. It's easy to hit snooze if you've overindulged, too. That tends to be a way some people hit snooze. There's this metaphor in the Bible about, that relates our, our spiritual journey to spiritual slumber. It says, uh, in different places of the Bible, it'll say, wake up, O sleeper. Ephesians chapter 15, do we have that message version, Joe, Ephesians chapter 15? Yeah? Ephesians chapter 15 talks about waking up because of the spiritual slumber, and if it's not there, that's okay, because I'll just keep going. Maybe. There it is. Uh, The 
The one that says <laughs> Ephesians, maybe. Maybe. If it's not there, it's okay. I should have come and checked before I jumped up here. It's okay. We'll pass on. Sometimes, the way that we sleep, slumber, spiritually, we can find ourselves hitting snooze all too easily. Because the squeezed, the rushed, the have-to life can lull us into spiritual slumber. It can keep us in a spiritual fogginess or forgetfulness or grogginess, and it can knock us into a spiritual coma. This morning, I wanted to say thank you for filling out all those cards. It was great to see those cards, and those cards got prayed over, that you responded in this way, that you're saying, okay, these activities that intersect with God's activities, I want to find those, see more of those, and, and interact with more of those. I want to step into this full life and start to see how the, how the divine is a part, not just of a divine moment, but a part of every moment, regardless of our circumstances, to see God working behind the scenes and the unseen, and to say, God, what are you up to? What are you up to in my life that's not just about my destiny, but is also about my proximity to you? Because when God's working in our life and he's intersecting with our life, it isn't just that he wants to work through us, but he wants to work in us. And I would say maybe he wants to work with us, work with us. We're going to jump into Esther chapter 4. That'll be on the screen. I saw it already. So we'll go to Esther chapter 4. I'm going to read along. It's going to be the whole chapter. You got to stick with me. I know you guys are tired from jumping up and down. But stick with me as we talk through this, Esther chapter 4. Remember that I talked this morning about this, this villain named Haman who, who found a way to make a decree that, that, the, that they can commit genocide against the Jews, basically. They were just going to annihilate them if they wanted to because Mordecai didn't like, excuse me, Haman didn't like that Mordecai didn't bow down. So the decree got passed, the decree has gone out, chapter 14 starts with Mordecai's response. He says, when Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put a sackcloth and ashes on and went out to the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went to the entrance of the king's gate for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in a sackcloth. They got all sorts of rules that you got to follow. And in every province, whenever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young woman and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments of clothes to Mordecai so that he may tuck off his sackcloth, but he would not accept him. Then Esther called to Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend to her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what it was and why it was. I'm going to stop there for a second. It seems like the queen, Esther, is totally clueless to the fact that something this big is happening in her kingdom. Doesn't it seem like that? And she's oblivious to the fact that here's Mordecai who's weeping in the city. This, this decree has gone out. All the Jews can be annihilated. That There's going to be this mass genocide. And, and she doesn't know that that's what's going on. Now, part of the story I didn't share this morning is, is, is when Esther was in front of the king and got chosen as queen, she was to not tell anybody that she was Jewish. So the king didn't know that she was Jewish. Nobody knew she was Jewish. So it's a secret up to this point. But somehow along the way, 
Esther falls into a spiritual slumber. I'll continue on. Hathak went to Mordecai in the open square of the city in the front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasures for the destruction of the Jews. So the king kind of got a, a little bit of a bribe, a little bit of an extra money into his bank account because Haman was like, hey, I want this to happen. I'll pay a bunch of money. And so Xerxes says, sure, great. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain to her the command her to go to the king, beg for his favor, plead with him on behalf of her people. So he went and told Esther, and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke back. This would have been a lot easier if they had text messaging back then. It's just this back and forth, back and forth. So one guy's running from one place to the other, and the, the, it's going back and forth. It's all working out, at least the conversation is. So it goes back and forth for a little bit, and Esther spoke to Hatak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say this, All the king's servants and the people of the king's providence know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside of the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except to one whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he might live. But as for me, I have not been called to come to the king these 30 days." It's kind of an interesting thing that happens with Esther. She's, she's got this ob oblivious attitude. She's in this spiritual slumber when it comes to this thing happening with the Jews. And she, she decides to say, you know what? I don't know if I need to get involved. I, I, I know that I've, I, I, I'm the queen and all, but I don't think I need to, to get involved because there's this law I told you about this morning. Nobody can just go step in front of the king, especially if they're not called. And remember, the last queen... She was done with, and she didn't just walk, she disobeyed, but he, she's like, I, I don't think I, that's what I want for my life. What's Mordecai say in response? It's what we talked about a little bit this morning. And then Mordecai and Esther had said, and they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from some other place. But you and your father's house will perish. Who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So Esther and Mordecai go back and forth, and Mordecai says, Esther, wake up. Wake up, Esther. You've forgotten who you are. Don't think that just because no one knows you're a Jew, don't think that just because you're the queen that you're going to escape this genocide that's going to happen. You and your family, which includes Mordecai, you're all going to be killed. I mean, God is going to work in a way that he's going to bring salvation because God does that. But don't think that just because you're the queen, don't think that just because you've had this power or proximity to power and you've had this, this prestige that comes with it and you have all these pleasant, good things happen in your life, that you're going to escape this coming judgment. Wake up. You've been blinded to who you are. You're being blinded to what God's up to. So I think we have this tendency to think that if, if God gives us the things we're pursuing in this chronic life that we were talking about, 
That maybe if God gives us that greatness that we're seeking, or if he gives us uh, all those good things that bring us happiness, then, then we'll be in a position to say, look, to God be the glory. God, put me here, and I'm going to give all the glory to God. But I think that what happens more often than not is not that we say, we're going to give God the glory. What happens is we're blinded from God's grace. Esther is completely oblivious to her whole people group, her very people that she comes from. She's oblivious to the fact that they're about to get wiped out of the picture. God's about to move, and God's about to take action, and God's about to to save these people, and she has no idea what's even happening. I'll say for me, you say for you, but I think a lot of times, I think I'll say, God, if you just put me in a better position, if you just give me a little bit more greatness and a little bit more goodness and a little bit more happiness, if you just help me fill this line of my life, then I'll give you the glory. But more often than not, we're blinded to God's grace. There's another story that's told. This one by Jesus. It's the story of a wayward son. It's called the prodigal son for most people. It's a famous story. And most of us know how it goes, but the son goes to his father and says, hey, I want half the inheritance, which is basically saying, like, I want you dead, and the father gives it to him. And he goes off and he, he plunders all of his spoils. He, he's, he just wastes it. He takes all the money and he lives in high life and gambling and drinking and all the things that come with it. And he, he spends all his money and it's done. See, he does the same kind of thing, though. There's, there's power, and there's prestige, and there's pleasures. And he's saying, that's what I need, that's what I want. But whatever he's looking for, he doesn't find it in that. And then a famine comes. And you'd think at that point in the story, if a famine came after you had all the, the chances to have your power and your prestige and your pleasures, you would think at one point you'd say, you know, maybe this isn't working out. I've wasted it all. And then a famine comes. Maybe this isn't working out. I should find another way, but instead of finding another way, he decides to go work on a farm. And he's looking at the pig's food, and he gets a pit in his stomach. And Jesus says he snapped out of it. He woke up. He came to his senses. And he says to himself, what am I doing this for? In my father's house, he has many servants. I could just go back and just be like a hired hand and I would live better than this. So I think God works to give lots of us wake-up calls. That if he's working in our lives to not just change the trajectory but to change the condition of our souls... I think there's these activities that you and I can engage in that start to kind of wake us up to the things that God's about. The ways that he works in our world, the ways that he wants to work in us and with us. And one of those ways is to say, maybe it's time to wake up. There's another story for me that happened again at 2 a.m., I woke up this time, and my wife was sound asleep. And I looked over, and nobody else was awake in the house. I couldn't hear anything. And as I sat there, I felt this enormous pain on my chest. And it was just getting heavier and heavier. And then I felt this really dark, heavy sadness come over me. 
And I felt like I couldn't breathe, and I started trying to breathe as best as I could, nice and slowly, and it just felt like it was getting heavier, and it felt like it was getting worse, and I felt sadder, and I thought, what in the world is happening to me? I'd never felt anything like it before. And I, I, I felt like for sure I was going to wake Angela up because of what was happening, and I thought for a second, it's, it, physically, am I okay? I don't think I'm having a heart attack. I don't think that's what this is. It doesn't feel like it's here. It feels like it's something bigger and different happening to me. So I went downstairs to the couch, and, the, and the, the, I remember there was a full moon, and it was just shining through the blinds. And I sat there, and I felt the weight get heavier and heavier, and the sadness sinking more and more. And I thought, God, is this what it's like for people? Like, is this what, when people say, like, they're about to have a panic attack, or they're having a panic attack, this, this is what it's like? Like, how do people endure this for more than three minutes? I think it had been, like, four minutes for me, five minutes for me. I said, God, I can't go more. Six minutes, seven minutes, I said, God, seriously, you have to take this from me because there's no way I can make it. And then I went away. So the next day I thought, you know what? Man, God was just trying to show me something about other people's lives. That's what that was like for other people. That's what it's like for people that deal with anxiety and depression. What, what hard things they must go through. I thought God was giving me this gift of empathy and then three days later, trying to get the kids ready for school. Come on, get out the door. Let's go. Let's, let's get this rushed, rushed life moving. You're late. You don't have your shoes. You don't have your boots. You don't have this. I forgot your lunches. I forgot this. And somewhere in there, I must have said some things because I got in the van and I started to drive and I heard my daughter say, boy, daddy sure is frustrated a lot. Frustrated is what we said instead of angry in our house. I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated. I realized that the pain I was feeling in my chest wasn't other people's pains. It was my anxiety. The sadness I was feeling wasn't other people's sadness. It was my sadness. And it was affecting my family. A couple days later, I see a, an article online, pastor struggling with depression kills himself. I see another article online, pastor uh, fired for this. I see another article online, pastor did this, and I'm thinking, I'm a pastor, and there's all these other pastors, and there's all this stuff happening. Apparently, we're not immune to this thing that's affecting us. I started contemplating that, and that's when I started this journey for a couple of months, and then went to a couple of years. I was saying, God, what, what are you doing? What are you up to in my life? What, what are you trying to say to me? And I realized through that journey, and, and still realizing, which it caused me to kind of get to a place where I said, you know, I got to stop. I just got to step back and reset everything. It was mentioned by Pete that I, I'm a stay-at-home dad now. I was like, I don't, that, that, I gotta, if, if my family is important to me and my marriage is important to me and my health is important to me, then I gotta step back and, and figure this thing out. I just gotta hit reset. I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know how things are gonna work out. I didn't have a, another job lined up over here or a, a savings account with a bunch of stuff that was gonna last months. I was just, I just gotta reset this whole thing. Because during that process, I looked at my life and I went, boy, I'm trying to control almost everything I do. 
I looked at my life and I was like, boy, there's all these outcomes that I thought were going to happen by this point. Or there's these, these dreams I had and these ideals that I had and this way of life working out. And, and those things aren't quite happening. But I know if I try harder, I know if I work harder, if I put more time in, if I just put my nose to the grindstone, if I just stay on the wheel, it's going to work out. One of those things is going to come through and then this is just all going to go away. But in the back of my head, I couldn't forget too many other stories of it not working out. See, I think God will do anything. He will leverage anything to wake us up. He'll leverage anything to wake us up to who we really are and who he really is. He used Uncle Mordecai in Esther's story to wake her up that, that maybe he's closer than she ever knows. For me, he used a child. For others, he might use a pit in your stomach. For others, he might use prominence. He'll use anything to leverage your story and your activities, your encounters, that you might wake up to what he's about and who, who you are. Here's a question I want to ask tonight. Is there anything that you've been hitting snooze on? Is there anything in your life that you've been hitting snooze on? For those of you who like the three-point sermon, I've tried to get it in there a couple times now. <coughs> Power, prestige, pleasure. It's really easy when we pursue those things that they fog our minds, they put us into the spiritual slumber, they lull us into comfort. And I think they can cause us to just want to cover our heads with the pillow and say, no, I don't have to deal with that right now. Or, or maybe for you, it's not covering your, your head with the pillow. It's like, I'm just going to pull the alarm clock out of the wall. See, in the chronic life, there's, there's times that maybe life is going well. You look at the, the way things have kind of added up, and you're like, this is not bad. It's comfortable. But remember, comfort's one of the easy ways to hit snooze. Now, that's the, the case for Esther. She was pretty comfortable. She had a good life. I mean, she would just wake up and do her thing. She didn't even have to deal with the king. He forgot about her for 30 days. Like, oh, yeah, I haven't been there for 30 days. He's forgotten all about me. I can't just show up. It didn't sound like she didn't want to show up. Like, life's pretty good. I mean, the life of a queen, when the king's not calling you, I mean, it's just... I don't know. It's like banquets for her, too. It's the party Persia place. So, I mean, why not? She's getting everything she wants. She's being attended to. She's comfortable. She has the, a good life, but not a full life. Maybe for some of us, it's just, man, we're exhausted. Exhausted, exhausted. 
And you've given all your energy and all your efforts and all your time, and you just keep and keep and keep going. Or maybe it's even overindulgence. In this life of the prodigal son, he just overindulged and overindulged, and there was time and time again, he finally comes to his senses. Well, that's right, my father, he would treat me better than this. Is there anything you're hitting snooze on in your life? Is it time to wake up for you? And maybe you're thinking, Jake, like you don't know. Like you don't really know my life. You don't know how far I've gone down the road that I've gone down. Like, you don't know how far God feels from me. You don't know how far I feel from God. Like, there's no, there's no way that I can just wake up and everything's going to be okay. And I'm not saying you're going to wake up and everything's going to be okay. We're going to keep talking about the story of Esther and the other activities that happen in her life that start to, to change not just the direction but change the condition of her heart. But I want to end with, with this, and it's a little faster than even I anticipated. I apparently talked really fast. But it'll give you a little bit more time to, to talk in small groups. The story of the prodigal son, if you remember it, if you don't, I'll just tell you here. It says when the, the son was a long way off. The son was a long way off. The father ran to him and embraced him. So if you feel like you're a far way off from God or he's a far way off for you, know that you have a God that will run to you. You guys pray with me. Heavenly Father, um, in this room there might be some of us who have maybe tried to ignore some of the wake-up calls that you've given, brushed them off, thought maybe they weren't that big of a deal. Maybe it was the, the conversation with a friend or a family member, a parent. It was that little offhand comment that was too easy to ignore but too easy to forget. So God, I pray that in this room, for those of us who you're calling to wake up, for those in this room who are maybe hitting snooze, for those in this room who, who feel like they're in a spiritual slumber. God, I pray that you'd stir, even in their hearts now, and even in their minds and their, and their souls now, you would stir in a way that causes them to say, I'm, I'm tired of snoozing. I'm tired of, of not waking up to this. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. Jesus, we thank you for the story that you gave us that displayed the love of the Father for us. 
And God, that you didn't just give us a story, but you gave us a demonstration, that you made it possible to come to you, that we can't come to you on our own, that we can't run to you because of our goodness or our greatness or even just of our desire, but we can come to you because, Jesus, you took on all those things, all the brokenness and all the hurt and all the pain and all the things that that cause us distractions. You took those on. You carried him to the cross. You put those things to death and you came to new life. And God, we need new life. Give us new life, Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.